0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Hey guys, if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please know that help is available. Call our trusted addiction treatment helpline now at 833-999-1877. Addiction specialists are available to offer support 24-7. More information can be found on this week's episode description on your podcast app. Hey, welcome to the Hell Hasn't Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833 833- Nine 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 one eight seven seven to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state of the art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at UnitedRecoveryProject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview recovering addicts who have stories of triumph and overcoming adversity. Today, I have Kristen C. C. See on the show. Recommended by a good friend of mine, your boyfriend. Yes. I actually don't know your story, but I think you're a Florida native, right?
2: Rhode Island. Born in Massachusetts.
1: Born in Mass. All right. Well, how long have you been clean now?
2: Over seven years. Over
1: seven years? Mm-hmm. Congrats. When's okay. your clean date?
2: December 3rd, 2014.
1: Nice. So where does your story start?
2: So I'm from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. My parents, you know, they got divorced at a young age. To me, it wasn't like a big deal. It was just, like, more freedom. Because,
1: mm-hmm. like, some people have a divorce, and it's, like, the most traumatic thing that happened to them. And some people have it, and, like, to them, it, it's not traumatic at all.
2: I remember the first time I put a substance in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, like, going in. My, my parents had this old, like, a stash of, like, old liquor mm-hmm. that had been there for years. And I remember, like, taking straight shots of gin Right over the sink to the point of, like, vomiting.
1: Wow. How old were you?
2: I was, like, 12 years old. And no one
1: told you to do that? You just did it on your own?
2: Yeah, I just started doing it on my own. Like I said, we had freedom. Mm -hmm. So when my mom was working or it was just me and, like, my girls in in the house, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the kind of thing I would do.
1: But were you, like, a good kid growing up? Like, were you got good grades or were you kind of, like, off the chain?
2: No, I was a pretty good kid. Up until when I got to high school, first of all, in middle school, I got picked on a lot. Mm -hmm. And
1: so
2: I was a little chubby. (laughs) I was a little chubby. So was I. It's all right. Yeah. Braces, glasses, Mm -hmm. and just like, you know, I went through the awkward phase. Okay. Well, going into high school, I started, you know becoming more of a woman. I got Mm -hmm. out of the awkward phase. I started getting more in touch with like my womanly side. I started getting more attention from boys.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. my introduction to high school was, it was in the summertime, right before I was going into high school. And I ended up going to a house party and the house party ended up being a teacher's son, Mm. okay? And the teacher was on vacation i ended up getting alcohol poisoning there
1: how old were you
2: 15 no so 16 like sophomore year yes
1: sophomore year you go to a party what are parties like for you guys
2: smoking weed and drinking
1: smoking weed and drinking yeah
2: we're like we the had. same
1: age so like probably listening to the same music
2: yeah yeah definitely
1: okay.
2: like um you know some people had like trailer they used Mm -hmm. to go down the trailer they used to go smoking down smoking by the beach
1: when did you start smoking smoking pot yeah
2: middle school
1: middle school Mm
2: -hmm. my friend's mom she used to smoke pot Mm -hmm. and i remember you know the first time taking a couple of hits with her drinking like strawberry wine boons farm Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and or like wine coolers things like that
1: yeah the first time i got drunk was off wine coolers yeah yeah it's like a capri sun (laughs) <laughs> all right so you go to this party you get alcohol poisoning how do you know it's alcohol poisoning like the cops came like you went to the paramedics or you just like they had to sick? call the
2: ambulance they
1: called the ambulance yeah. oh my god
2: they called the ambulance i cracked my head it ended up becoming this whole blown out thing mm-hmm. you know my mom will remind me your friends left you there to die <laughs> and it's like we're kids You know, obviously we ran, like they ran, they're scared. The cops Mm -hmm. are coming, you know, we're in a teacher's house, you know, like this is a big deal.
1: Kid get in trouble?
2: Yeah, it ended up turning into a thing. And then when I was in the hospital, they didn't pump my stomach, but they gave me charcoal. I Mm. ended up vomiting. I was highly intoxicated. I had stitches on my eye. It ended up getting blown out, which I had to get a rape kit done because... Oh my God. Yeah, because... Someone had said that I was found with my pants undone
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, like, my shirt coming down. And I have no recollection, mm-hmm. so I don't know. It came back negative. But as you can see, like, that's not a good way to start high school. Wow. Because now everybody, this is the reputation that I've already established, just become going Were people to mad at
1: you? Like, yo, you fucked up the party? Or people, like, were, like, just, like, whatever?
2: I think they probably were mad at me. <laughs> because. Yeah. I got us in trouble. Yeah. You know, like I went overboard overboard, and blew it for everybody.
1: Story of my life.
2: But Mm -hmm. someone was helping me like, here, take this shot, here, take this shot, take this shot. When I was like, you know, away, I don't know what what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's what happened.
1: What was the rest of high school like?
2: My junior year, I got with my high school sweetheart. And then I got another target on my back because we were very toxic. Mm -hmm. I was in an extremely abusive relationship controlling abusive. He would drive recklessly with me in the car. At one time he broke my arm. I had it in my arm in a cast the whole summer. Wow. And, you know, my grandmother will remind me at one point she was afraid for my life mm-hmm. with this guy because he was very unpredictable.
1: Was it mainly drug and alcohol induced, or this is just like kind of just toxic relationship?
2: Between us, you know, him and I we would smoke pot. Mm -hmm. double dabble a little bit with ecstasy here and there, but nothing like too extreme. I just Mm -hmm. feel like regular pothead stuff in high school. You know, I graduated by the skin of my teeth senior year. I went in late every single day. Mm -hmm. My dad didn't go to my graduation because he was not proud of me. Hmm. I barely made it. it. Mm
1: -hmm. People always ask like, you know, why would a girl stay in an abusive relationship? I know it's different for everybody, but like, why do you think that at the time you stayed with someone that was like toxic.
2: Besides being afraid for my life, I was just so wrapped up in that person and so codependent to the point where you think that you're gonna die if this doesn't work out, Hmm. like it's gonna hurt so bad that you can't go on. And I remember with the last straw, he came and he punched me in my face a few times, then he ran from the police. And I ended up calling, I called my dad and I called my grandmother. We got like a no contact order. And then after that, it was. That's it. That was
1: it. How did your active addiction start after that?
2: After him and I broke up, it was very painful for me. I started hanging out with my friends, going to hookah bars, smoking pot, drinking, Jager bombs. Yeah,
1: hookah bars were, were a hookah thing Hookah bars, like that. I yeah. I forgot about that.
2: Yep, yep. I was going to the gym a lot. And I ended up running into an old classmate of mine. He was in a grade above me. Mm-hmm. We started dating, met him at the gym. I didn't even know him in high school, but we just knew each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we started dating. And then I tried my first drug of choice with him. It was that first pill, and I had no idea that it was going to completely take over my life for the next five, six years. Mm-hmm. Like, totally.
1: Painkillers?
2: Yes, Mm-hmm. percocet we did perks wow perk 30s
1: okay yeah 30s. in florida we didn't call them perks but yeah perk 30s okay
2: yeah so his behavior was weird you know he would go he would a lot of times he would be tired out of it mm-hmm. you know his behavior was just really strange
1: this is all massachusetts
2: rhode island mm-hmm. massachusetts right. i live like right on the line so okay he would go to his truck for like 20 minutes at a time. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was shooting up mm-hmm. the perks or what he was doing. But anyway, he would come back and I didn't really understand cuz it was my first time seeing opiates and mm-hmm. I didn't really know what somebody looked like high besides being, you know, drunk or stoned or whatever. Yeah. And I remember it was the first time I said, "What are you taking?" And he told me, and he, he had me send him. He, he went somewhere for work. He had me send him some. Mm-hmm. And I, I sent him a few pills in a candy box. Mm-hmm. And I sent it through the mail. And then I started doing them.
1: Doing them yourself. Mm-hmm. So you met in the gym. So he was like pretty fit. Like he didn't look like he did drugs.
2: He kind of looked like he did drugs. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like sometimes people have, like the best thing with opiates is like when you, like when I first started, like people were doing opiates. But like they wouldn't look like what I would imagine like drug addicts to kind of right. look like, you know, because it's like in the beginning, you know, the first time I did opiates, I thought they were like lesser drugs. you know right. I didn't think they were like hardcore drugs because I was already like smoking crack and stuff. So when I saw like pills, I'm like, oh, those are just pills, you know, mm-hmm. how bad could a pill be? what goes on with you and this guy later on
2: he ended up taking off he used me a lot mm-hmm. at the time i had this really nice i was really into cars i had a 2004 accurate tl yeah it was everything yeah. to me yeah it was beautiful red on the outside like tan everything mm-hmm. wood grain on the inside he would drive my car around while i was working in my dunkin donuts job mm-hmm. that was my first job i had from 16 to 21 one day he dropped my car off and I never saw or heard from him again. I believe he took off to Boston. Mm-hmm. There was an issue with his brother and maybe pills mm-hmm. and a large amount, something like that. I don't really but know. He, he was just took secretive. off and never
1: talked to you again. Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: And he passed away. Wow. Active addiction. From an overdose. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so did his brother.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Both yeah. of them. Wow.
2: Yeah. Like years later. Mm-hmm. Crazy.
1: So what goes on You know, later on in your story?
2: When he took off. Now I have this addiction going. I'm starting to get sick. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel withdrawal when I don't get high.
1: This is the first time you start withdrawing because he's not around to get him?
2: Correct. Now I start realizing, you know, that one pill, I did it. And then a couple of days later, I did it again. Mm -hmm. And then the days became shorter and closer together till it was like doing it from morning till night. And it was all I thought about. Mm -hmm. He took off. I did the next best thing and I started dating my drug dealer. You know? <laughs> I just went over there and then three years later him and I we stood together for three years. On blues. On blues, on heroin.
1: Okay, when did you start when did that happen?
2: We transitioned at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't remember snorting when. It? Yes. Yeah. Started snorting it. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I did it, I was like, what the hell is this? Like this is this isn't even good. We moved away from the pills because we used to get the pills from a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. She used to sell it to us. She passed away. She was on hospice. She was on hospice for years. I mm-hmm. used to get large amounts from her.
1: So then you transitioned to heroin. So the first heroin. time it wasn't good.
2: Yeah. But anyway, we started doing that. And that's mm-hmm. what we did. And he started selling heroin. The whole community. During that three
1: years, what are you doing for work? Are you still working at Dunkin' Donuts?
2: I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. And were
1: you selling, too, or you were just a girlfriend?
2: Don't, I was just a girlfriend.
1: Okay. What are your parents thinking of you at this time?
2: Well, I got. I went to work every day. Okay. I also was in nursing school. Mm-hmm. I failed nursing school. What happened was I was in nursing school right out of high school. I tried to get on boxing to straighten my act up. Mm-hmm. I remember being in clinicals at the time. If I couldn't get high or I couldn't get right before clinical, I would be throwing up in the bathroom Mm-hmm. I remember getting um, sent home sick a couple of times from clinical I stay in contact with some of the people that I went to nursing school with the mm-hmm. first time And I don't know if they knew that I had a problem Probably you could see it in yeah. my face, in my eyes, my skin, my behavior
1: So you went to nursing school? Yeah So you weren't selling, you were in school And your yeah. parents probably thought you were like totally okay Or did your parents know you had a problem?
2: My parents started to see that I had a problem hmm Especially when I trans, I think with the pills, they kind of had an idea. But when I transitioned to heroin, then they really knew that something was Mm -hmm. up. You know, I would disappear. I would not answer my phone. I would hide in the bathroom. We ended up transitioning to IV drugs. Mm -hmm. We would do it like fresh box of needles right from CVS. It wasn't like disgusting, like reusing yeah. the same one. Mm-hmm. We got a fresh one every single time.
1: Wow. We wiped it with disinfectant.
2: Disinfectant every Band-aid. single time.
1: Get <laughs> out of here.
2: <laughs> Tourniquet. Everything. You oh know. Oh my god. That. I mean, that's how it started, but yeah. that's not how it ended. Mm-hmm. It ended in bad.
1: Okay, so you start IVing drugs. So, like, when you say drugs, you mean just heroin, or you're all? Were you ever into coke at all?
2: I like crack. You I'm like, not oh, I would so do you're, coke. So
1: you were doing crack too?
2: Yeah. You know, you have like a drug of choice. You have like a drug of no choice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Heroin was my drug of no when choice. When did you
1: get into crack? It just kind of happened.
2: Just kind of happened. You just hang out with the people and...
1: But it was during that three-year period when you were with the, the new drug dealer boyfriend?
2: Yeah. I got fired from Dunkin' Donuts for stealing.
1: Oh, really? Oh. I was
2: stealing for probably over a year.
1: Mm-hmm. And they caught you.
2: And I got busted. I got sloppy. Mm-hmm like my whole world started crashing. Mm -hmm. So failed school, lost the job. And I just continued to use.
1: When you're using and you have, you know, so you have a crack habit and you also have like a hardcore dope habit. So what happens at three years after that? What are you like 24 at this time?
2: see the thing, Brian is like, my memory is not good. Like my boyfriend will tell me all the time, like my memory is no good and it's true. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of years of drug use, what I've done to my brain Or if it's, you know, my higher power's way of protecting me.
1: Mm -hmm, From things that happen.
2: Yeah. So I kind of look at it in that way. But Mm -hmm. 23.
1: What happens after you you end the relationship with this guy?
2: Well, he went to jail. Oh, really? He went to jail. Um, He got busted. He had a stolen gun on him. You know, hanging out with the wrong people. You say one thing to somebody and one thing to somebody else. And then they, you know tell the police or whatever. And it was just like a big tangled up mess. Mm-hmm. He went to jail. I continued to use to the best of my ability. I would visit him in jail. At this time, I was I started going in and out of rehab. I would visit him in, in jail. I would go visit him like on the weekends, mm-hmm. still with my outfit from the night before, going on the town doing God knows what mm-hmm. with God knows who and like going to visit him.
1: At this point in time, are you thinking about getting clean when you go to rehab?
2: Yeah, well, I think at first... What was
1: the rehab like in the beginning, like the times that you did go? Are these state-funded places?
2: Yeah, I went to a couple of state-funded places in Rhode Island Mm -hmm. uh, multiple times. I've done IOPs. I've done psych wards. I did partial hospitalization where I took a bus and I went for the day and then I come back mm-hmm. home. Like in uh, the literature of the twelve step, we talked about medicine, religion, and psychiatry. Like I did it all.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear about meeting? Oh, you must have heard about meetings and stuff like that. Like, did you ever think about like getting clean and going to meetings?
2: I remember my, my first time, um, even with the slightest inkling of that is, when I was in the partial hospitalization, they had like these two older gentlemen from the fellowship come Mm -hmm. in. And you know, I would listen to their story, but there was just, there was no connection. There was nothing that Mm -hmm. made me feel like I'm gonna continue on doing this. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just maybe a phase that I was gonna get out of. Eventually, as time goes on, I continued to use.
1: So then what led up to like later on in your story,
2: In and out of rehab, at some point I was doing like an outpatient and they said, you need to go to a higher level of care. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to send send me to Florida. So that's how my journey started in Florida. And I went to treatment here.
1: What was treatment here like versus like over there? You think the treatment was different or you were just like ready to get clean at that point?
2: Um, Or you think
1: being away from home helped you? I think that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it was just a completely new environment. It was me on my own,
1: mm-hmm.
2: nobody to pick up the pieces, nobody to, you know, if I decided that I wanted to go use, like I was gonna be homeless. Mm-hmm. It was also the the environment change, you know, like looking around and I had not, Brian, I did not leave a five mile radius mm-hmm. in my active addiction. I just stood in my bubble. You know, I didn't travel. I never went to Disney. (laughs) Like the farthest I ever went to like was Cape Cod or whatever. So to see this environment was like a a total culture shock Mm -hmm. for me. Like I couldn't believe it. It was almost like a, it was like a paradise type thing.
1: And then this is the first time you've seen like other young people in recovery? Yes. What was your treatment stay like when you did get here?
2: It was a nice experience. You know, I really feel grateful for the treatment center that I went through. Mm-hmm. It was shout out Pathway to Hope. I don't think it's Pathway to Hope anymore. They change
0: it yeah, yeah, I don't know. They, mm-hmm. you know,
2: they vent, whatever. They join with other people mm-hmm. or whatever. But my first time going to outside meetings, I met my sponsor at one of those outside meetings Uh, being around young people. And, you know, like at first, like my intentions weren't always pure, Mm -hmm. you know, like I still, I didn't come in here totally fully willing, you know, like I was still messing around. Mm -hmm. You know, we we would get sent out on job search Mm -hmm. and I ended up meeting up with a guy, you know what I mean? I was not looking for a job, Mm -hmm. you know, and I thought too, I was going to do like my one month here and then go back home. I believe that, you know, God had other plans for me. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What changed in your recovery where you started to take it seriously? Like, what was, like, inspiring you to, like, you know, stay and, you know, work the steps and get involved and, like, change your life?
2: I fell on my face a couple of times. I got high while I was in halfway, and I went back to treatment. It was either I got high down here in Florida right off CIS Trunk with someone that I was in halfway with. Mm -hmm. My option was.
1: Shout out CIS Trunk.
2: Yeah, just this <laughs> it's not there anymore. I know,
1: it's like nice now. Yeah, now yeah. they have
2: like the nice high rises over there. But mm-hmm. it was either you go be homeless on the street and use and get the F out. Mm-hmm. Or you go back to treatment. And I got back to treatment. And the thing is, too, it was like reality check. Like I was becoming 26 and I wasn't having insurance anymore. Like yeah. my options were getting. So it was like time mm-hmm. is ticking for me.
1: Yeah, I was talking to someone today. They were like, how do people get clean? Like, did you want to get clean? I'm like, no one wants to get clean, but they start to see the the window closing. Yeah. So it's like when you first start using, it's like, "Ah, oh, who gives a fuck, whatever. And like, you know, you burn some bridges and then, you know, you always have this reservation of like, oh, I could get clean like this if I wanted to. And then you start to get to the point like, holy shit, this might be now or never. Yeah, You know, and it's kind of like when you're in school and you have to write a paper. Like, I would just wait till like the last two hours to be like, holy shit, like, I'm either going to write this paper now or I'm just not going to. And everyone has a different internal time clock. And you might be 65 years old and you start to be like, fuck, now is the time that I need to really do something. And then at the end of the day, when you get clean, I believe that like that window starts opening again and you start to think like, well, maybe I have more time. And then it's just the whole cycle all over again. So I think for me, even when I got clean at a young age, even though I was so young, I started to feel real fear that, like, I'm going to die or do something really dumb that's going to change my life forever. I was always the person that, like, you know, I would do drugs and not give a fuck and I would you know take stupid risks and laugh and joke about it and towards the end i was like starting to blatantly see like i'm about to fuck my life up forever and i'm gonna go to jail and i'm gonna go to prison or i'm just gonna get shot or i'm gonna like end up overdosed somewhere you know and i think that uh with fentanyl now it's like that time is getting shorter and shorter because so many people are dying and i think when i was using i was one of the only people that was like I started to really think like well, i could die from this and i think now people are really starting to get like aware of like it's not if it's when
2: yeah
1: when i first started using i didn't think that way but it's kind of like riding a motorcycle you know like i stopped riding motorcycles because that's what people say with motorcycles it's not if it's when everybody is going to crash if you ride motorcycles someone's going to hit you you're going to lay your bike down and i started to have that feeling of like i need to do something now You had that feeling eventually, right?
2: Yeah. One thing I do share all the time, Brian, when I share my story is that, you know, I had my run with different drugs, Mm -hmm. IV drug, smoke crack, whatever. When I, at one point I got out of one of my times in treatment Mm -hmm. and I started drinking and I started drinking like how I did my dope from morning till night. Mm -hmm. And it made me freaking crazy to the point where nobody wanted to be around me. When I'm doing dope, like, I'll be in my boyfriend's basement, Mm -hmm. like, barely see the light of day. But when I'm drinking, I'm constantly on the go, 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 and, like, the party doesn't stop. I end up getting a DUI. In Florida? No, it was actually back in Rhode Island.
1: So you went back home for a little bit? Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Step into the world of power, loyalty.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I got a DUI. Uh, after I got the DUI, I didn't care. I said, okay, well, I'm going to continue to drink. I just won't drive anymore. But mm-hmm. It wasn't stopping me. The consequences weren't enough for mm-hmm. me.
1: So what was enough eventually?
2: It was the change of environment. That
1: mm-hmm.
2: was really helpful. And then starting to go to outside meetings and see these young people that had similar stories to me.
1: Like I always tell people, it's like, I'm lucky that like I got clean down here and I'm from down here because my first couple of meetings, it really did look like a paradise of like all these people who were just lost and broken and they met up together and they all moved down here and like they're all going to meetings and happy and fun. And it starts to seem realistic Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're using alone and you don't have an example that you can touch, feel and look at, it doesn't seem real. Like, I would watch Intervention and, you know, watch Celebrity Drug Rehab and be like, Psh. and it didn't look successful. It didn't look attractive. It looked miserable. 99% of the time, they'd all get high within the show anyways. And it just seemed like it was never going to happen. No one got clean.
2: How about when the credits come and then it says that they relapse <laughs> six months later? Yeah. And or, like, where's the dead.
1: hope in that? Yeah, it's like. Where's it's, the hope in yeah, that? It's like, da 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 megan was never seen again or she ama made from treatment and it got high the next okay. day yeah and you're exactly. just like so it's like there's there's no tv shows that i was able to see that was showing that people were staying clean long term the only thing i knew about getting clean was that when you get clean and you get high you get high as fuck. that was my only concept of getting clean was like oh yo so-and-so just got a jail and you're like damn like if you break them off something they're gonna get like annihilated and that was my only like thing that i thought of is like well if i do get clean like one oxy 80 it's just going to wreck me so that was my only thing is like if you clean for a while you're going to get really high when you relapse and that was about it but there was no concept of like actually staying clean like staying clean for for months and years like and at first i used to think oh i'll get clean one day i'll get clean one day and I remember that feeling that came over me that was like bro you missed it like you're not gonna get clean anymore like it's not gonna happen for you and then you're just like well, I'm just gonna die like this you know and you, I kind of just stopped caring mm-hmm. and then you walk into a meeting and it like hits you right in the face like it's it's undeniable evidence you know you can't say that this like people these people aren't clean at least I didn't I wasn't skeptical that these people were like hanging out every day lying you know like I It was very apparent to me that these people were hardcore drug addicts and now they were clean. And it was almost scary because it's like, well, now there's a way to get clean, you know?
2: Yeah, I I can relate to um, getting to the point where just thinking this is it, Mm -hmm. like, this is my fate. Like, I'm never gonna get clean. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't stay clean, I'm not gonna get clean. And eventually I'm gonna die this way. You know, and I had like this perception that I was living like this Amy Winehouse lifestyle. And like Lindsay Lohan, and Mm -hmm. this is me, and this is what I do, and and this is it for me. And forget about the girl that had dreams and goals. Mm -hmm. And then I came down to Florida, and I started seeing the young community of recovering addicts. And you were one of those people for me, you know? And that was that's like one of the reasons why I wanted to be on the podcast too, because... That's cool, thank you. You were one of those people that made recovery... I started opening my ears. I started listening. Mm-hmm. You no, know, you were young, you had a story of hope. You dressed nice. You were becoming successful. Mm-hmm. And you were funny, laughing. You had friends. So I started getting curious about this, like maybe I can do this too. You know, maybe I can have my form of success and mm-hmm. recovery as well. You know, and I was able to do it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's like, you know, there was people when I first got clean that they might have had 60 days. And I would look at them and they had a car and they had a girlfriend. And I was like, wow. Because it's like when when I was using, I was so ashamed of my drug use because I just like crack made me feel so dirty. And it's like uh, no one else was smoking crack. Mm -hmm. And it's like it was embarrassing that my parents had to find out that I was smoking crack. And when my mom used to find chore in my room. It's humiliating, you know, but it's like, this is really what I'm doing. And I don't know, like, how this happened. When I would, like, smoke crack and and do, like, these things, I would, like, tell myself, like, I hope no one ever finds out about this. Because I used to think, like, if I ever got clean, I just got to get over this. And you would see people dressed up in suits or, like, you know, successful or whatever. And they'd get up there and they'd be laughing about smoking crack and talking about their active addiction and making jokes about, you know, copping crack on trunk by Church's Chicken or something like that. And you would laugh and you would relate. It'd be like the shame would kind of go away. And it's like, hey, look, this happened to us, but at least we're doing something about it today. And it felt cool to just be able to talk about drugs with someone and not go do them. Because the only time I ever brought up crack was like, we're on the way to get crack. It was almost as if like people who have like trauma and they just never talk about it, And then like they talk about it and it's just not as traumatic anymore because for the first time they're like facing what's bothering them. It changed my whole perception on life. And even my family was not with it. My family was like, hey, Brian, you probably shouldn't fucking tell people you're smoking crack. (laughs) You know what I mean? How was your family when you got clean? Like were they supportive from the beginning?
2: They were, they had had, they had had it with me. Mm-hmm. There had been so many times where I promised that this was going to be the last time. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Like I promise, every time, never. It didn't feel like I. It took many years for them to actually start to trust me again.
1: Many years. Years. Yeah.
2: Like if I sounded tired. Yeah. They would ask me if I'm taking something. Plus, I wasn't. I was in Florida. Yeah. So I'm just on the phone you Mm -hmm. know it took a long time how
1: would you react in the beginning when they would like ask you if you were high or something
2: i would get aggravated Mm -hmm. you know i also sometimes too i was like slurring my words a little bit i was on like comfort meds Mm -hmm. you know they i don't know if you remember they give all the comfort meds Mm -hmm. when you're in treatment so i was on like gabapentin and visceral and whatever until i started you know abusing my comfort meds too Mm -hmm. you know if the bottle says take one Three times a day, and I'm taking three.
1: Three three times a day. All right. Mm -hmm.
2: Or 10 and go into IOP. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a problem. You know, I didn't know what it meant like to not use my sponsor. She showed me that Mm -hmm. because I literally would use anything to feel different, to feel get outside of myself, whether it be my drug of choice, Mm -hmm. alcohol, prescriptions whatever i shouldn't even take like benadryl and stuff like that because mm-hmm. i would you know how many times like i got busted robo tripping <laughs> yeah from nyquil and mm-hmm. stuff like that whatever i could get my hands on mm-hmm. i just always wanted to be under the influence of something yeah at all times
1: even when i got clean i found myself wanting to do drugs that i never wanted to do before like being like oh well if i do a bunch of whippets that doesn't show up on a drug test you know and it's like i haven't done whippets it's like middle school you know but it's like once the disease starts to see that you're not doing what it normally does it tries to get you in other ways and it's like my biggest thing with the podcast is like to show people that it's not like an event like i didn't get clean and my life just started getting good like i still had to deal with the stigma of everyone still looking at me like a drug addict because sometimes it's like dude even my own family was still like I was still breaking rules. I was still breaking the law. I was still stealing. Like, I didn't stop stealing until I had, like, nine months clean, Mm -hmm. you know? So, it's like I still... Even though I was off drugs, I was still klepto, you know?
2: I was still stealing with a couple years clean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's
1: like when people hear like, oh, your parents didn't trust you with two years clean. Like to someone who's not in recovery, that might sound like, oh, well, they're crazy. But the reality is, is that like when you've lied to these people over and over, like they're hurt. Mm -hmm. They want to trust you. It's like your parents don't want to trust you. They want to trust you. They have their own trauma to deal with. And they're not willing to trust you because they have so much bad history with you just like uh like a bank you know what i mean it's like it's like yo if you owe a bank money like they ain't lending you new money until that old shit is paid off and if you fucked over your family for 10 years like it might take 10 years for them to let you back in and some people think that's messed up but that's actually kind of healthy You know, it's almost toxic for a family member to be like, oh, I heard you're clean now. Here's all this trust. Yeah. And as an addict, it's difficult because we're trying so hard to gain the trust back and we feel like we're doing it for nothing. And if someone would have told me like, hey, dude, even though you're clean, it might take years for your parents to trust you. I might have just given up. I was so based on instant gratification. Doing something in return of getting rewarded in years was like, what? Like, (laughs) it was like, get out of here. Like, why would I even start that process? Years? Like, I'm not waiting years. And like in recovery, it's taught me how to think in years. Well, if I start now in five years, I'll have it. And like those five years will happen. And it's like schools like that, you know?
2: That's a good way to think of it. I remember I had 60 days clean. My dad co-signed for me to get a car. Wow. This was so bad. This was back in the day. Mm -hmm. That night. I went to pick up my car. That night, I was drinking, driving. I didn't know where Mm -hmm. I was, lost. My dad's calling me. Oh,
1: my God. How
2: could you do this to me? It just, I had no...
1: Yeah. So, this one time, I was asking, like, a friend of mine. So, in my active addiction, I did this girl really dirty for years. Like, just, like, really tortured and harassed this girl. She almost put a restraining order on me. Like, and, like, when I got clean, I was just, like, begging for her to be, like, my friend again. I was, like, writing her emails and, like... I, like, dropped off flowers at her house. I had, like, a year clean. I was reaching out to her, like, you know, I have a year clean. Like, I don't understand, like, what's going on. And she was like, well, for all those years, you were high. I was clean. Stone cold sober going through all that. So as bad as it bothers you, like, fucked up for you to think about it, like, I was sober that whole time. Mm. And that's when i was like damn you know because it's, it's like traumatic for me like i feel so embarrassed about it you know but it's like your dad was clean during that whole situation at least we were like high through it god knows what else i fucking said or did that i don't even remember
2: you know my brother had to see me come home intoxicated on a regular basis mm-hmm. screaming at my mother you know sometimes he would videotape me Wow. i have one on my phone
1: he's a little your little brother
2: he's five years younger than me he's a police officer now wow yeah and we're tight. Like, mm-hmm. we're good friends now. I put him you mm-hmm. know, in those positions. He was getting into fights with my boyfriends, fights in the house, getting punched in the face.
1: Mm-hmm. One of my close friends, his sister grew up to be a substance abuse counselor. And he's having issues with her and they're fighting about petty shit. And he's been clean a couple of years. And I was like, bro, why do you think your sister even chose this profession? Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like, are you not aware that like, you had done so much damage to your sister that she couldn't help you that she chose to dedicate her life to help other people you know i'm always trying to tell him, like dude you just gotta i don't care what the situation is you have to let her win and just be the bigger man you know sometimes we don't realize like that girl she works in substance abuse so See? so that girl it's like sometimes we imagine fucking up someone so much <laughs> mentally that they choose to go help people like us, you know? And it's like, um, she told me when she got, like, now we're friends, by the way. So now we're like best friends. And she told me, she was like, I never did coke all throughout college because I just remember what it did to you in middle school. So she was like, you know, I never thought like I'd work with mental health or whatever, but like, you know, she's a therapist now and she works like all populations. It's cool. Cause she's like, yeah, I always tell my clients all about you, how there was like this one kid who was in high school who was like, the biggest piece of shit so like sometimes when i tell my story because i was so young people are always like oh that's so sad i was known as the biggest piece of shit like that kid is a piece of shit piece of garbage like fucking womanizing scumbag steals anything will rob anybody and even clean like i didn't get clean and just become nice like i remember just being like a, a total asshole Really, because I just was so insecure. I just had so much built up insecurity from, like, childhood, from being bullied, from, like, all this other shit going on that, like, I had just built such a tough exterior. When I got clean, like, I didn't know how to manage that. I didn't know how to... I didn't know how to be vulnerable without feeling like you were going to take advantage of me. I didn't know how to set boundaries. I did not know how to communicate clearly. I didn't even know how to be, like, sarcastic without being an asshole. Like, I didn't know how to even communicate or talk to people, you know?
2: Same. I couldn't look anyone in the eye. Yeah,
1: couldn't look anyone in the eye. Looked at the ground the whole time. Yeah. Or it was just, like, a total douchebag. Like, I tell people, like, I'm a recovering douchebag, you know? <laughs> just because we get clean, like, our personalities are so fucked from drug use. Just because the way you interact as drug addicts is so fucked up. It's just so about what do you have and what I can get from you. And if you turn your back for a second, you know this person's going to screw you over and vice versa. And it really creates like this paranoid, insidious thinking of like you can't let your guard down around anybody.
2: When I came into the recovery community, you know, my guard was up at first. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know why would this person want to help me? What Mm -hmm. do they want from me? you know, male and female, like my sponsor, you know, she started sponsoring me from the kindness of her goodness of her mm-hmm. heart. Like, why would this woman help me? Now, as I stay clean for a while, you know, I understand how it works.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling like undeserving of it too. And just because we go from active addiction to recovery, and it's polar opposites. Like in active addiction, like no one's giving you a ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, no one's taking you to your halfway house. Like no one's picking you up no one's doing anything unless you got money for them or drugs for them. Like, no one's doing you a favor.
2: Not for free.
1: Not for free. Like, no one's hooking up your bag. You know what I mean? It's like, and then you, you're in recovery and people are just, like, willing to pay for your meal. And take. And I'll take you home and call me if you, if you need to talk. For me, it felt like almost too good to be true. But I also was such a, like, even at a young age, I was such a good um, eye for bullshit that I knew that they weren't bullshitting me. Because I knew that they weren't trying to sell me anything because I didn't have money to buy. And I knew they weren't like tricking me into like, it didn't feel like a setup. It, it really did feel genuine and it, it felt really refreshing and it felt like home base. It felt like a safe place to be. What happened, um, you know, after you started to stay clean and change your life? Like what else goes on in your story?
2: So I stayed in halfway for two years.
1: Awesome. I love to hear that.
2: Yeah, I see. I hate when people
1: My are like, "Oh, well, you know, I got 90 days. I'm ready to leave." I'm like, "No, you're definitely not." No,
2: I was afraid to leave. That's awesome. What was I gonna do when no one was watching? Mm-hmm. And at this point, yeah, mm-hmm, I had built, you know, a decently solid foundation.
1: And people hear that and are like, "Oh, well, I don't want." You know, you have to have a foundation first, and then you could go do anything you want. You could go live in Greece. You could go travel the world. But like for me, I needed to stay in a safe environment for a couple of years, maybe even like two or three years. Structured? Yeah, I was scared to go away to college. I was scared to like go travel places because I knew I uh, behave really well under supervision, you know, but it's like, as soon as someone's not watching, it's like, I start to just like slide the scale a little bit.
2: I saved money. I was paying my rent. Mm -hmm. I cleaned the house, go grocery shopping. You know, I started being a functioning person. Uh, Pay bills. You know, in my active addiction, the bills would come and I would be swiping the (laughs) credit cards for every single store. Man, I just let them pile up. I just couldn't want to deal with it. You know, so I started taking responsibility, got a bank account, I got my license back. It's a community service over in Sistrunk. Nice. Got my license back, saved up for a car, I got my own place, started living on my own. I got into a relationship with one of the kids in the halfway house. I had Mm -hmm. about a year. Uh, That lasted for about a year. He was on and off getting high, couldn't stay clean. Mm -hmm. And I remember he came to my house and he kissed me in my mouth and I tasted crack. And my heart dropped to my stomach. And it was in that moment, was I gonna stay clean or was I going to get high with a boyfriend like I've done with every other time? Mm -hmm. I asked him to leave and I stood clean, continued to stay clean and got stronger in my recovery more than ever. Mm -hmm. Step work, service, sponsorship, all of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's the determining factor for people who stay clean. So it's like when you have a fucked up situation, do you lean into your recovery or do you walk away from it? So it's like no matter how long you've been clean, when shit hits the fan, are you going to more meetings and doubling up on what you need to do or are you actually going to the casino Fucking different fucking people going shopping because like all that stuff is great. But it's like when shit hits the fan and you're using those things when you need to be using the program is where you start to build up a pattern of not taking care of what you need to take care of for your own mental health and your own recovery. You know, <laughs> you know, I was dating this girl once. She was like, what would you do if we broke up? And we had been dating for like a couple of years. You know, my first reaction was I'd go to a meeting. I'd call my sponsor. I do a pros and cons list and I would pray about it. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I was like, what would you do if we broke up? She said, I'd fuck all your friends. <laughs> I'm like, I remember just being like, all right, cool. You know, like, she, like she was joking, but it's like, you know, I don't think that I I think like she thought I would be like, oh, I don't know what I would do. You know what I mean? But it's like, I'll, I know that. No relationship is worth my recovery i know no job is worth my recovery if if i was to get fired today or lose like whatever i have my company or whatever it's like i know what i would do because i've been doing the same thing for 14 years you know and it's like what you do in those moments are like what's going to define you later on in life
2: stay in the solution Mm -hmm. and stay grateful too i don't take anything for granted Like, I stay grateful for everything in my life. Like, I look around and I see the life that I built for myself.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I still can't believe it. And I just, I thank God every day.
1: That's awesome. So after that, you stayed clean. When did you want to pursue being a nurse again?
2: Started taking courses. You know, it's always been my dream. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a goal that I worked towards. And I put myself through nursing school. I took out loans, went through nursing school, Worked full time, went to meetings, I still was exercising, got my associates in nursing. Awesome. And I've been practicing as a registered nurse for about six months now.
1: Wow, that's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like, you know, you had a dream and like you went for it.
2: Yeah, they say lost dream's awaken.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: that's me, that's my life for sure.
1: How has your family been like in your life over the past couple of years that you've been clean now?
2: My mom and I were best, were, that's like my best friend, mm-hmm. you know. My mom is uh, she's mentally ill, so you know she's there, but mm-hmm. she's not all there. But I love her for exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I help her as much as I can. My brother, he was just down here in Florida. We just hung out. Wow. He calls regularly too. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes to me. You know, to to talk to me and bounce ideas off me. And you know, this is the same kid that I put through all those situations mm-hmm. in his when he was in a very um,
1: yeah his childhood div-
2: yeah my dad he's uh, remarried he adopted a child mm. and you know i talk to him on a regular basis and my dad's been like one of my biggest supporters my entire recovery
1: that's so cool so i always try to ask people on this show like why do, do you think some people stay clean and some people don't and now they have been clean you know seven years after watching you know so many different people come in and out
2: well i believe that for me like god had god had a purpose for mm-hmm. me and Even when I want to use, I just I don't. I keep the fact that I'm I'm an addict, and I'll always be an addict. And I keep that first, no matter what, Mm -hmm. no matter what success that I have in my life, all the good things that come first and foremost. I'm an addict, Mm -hmm. and the day that I forget, that's the day that Mm -hmm. I'm in
1: trouble. A lot of people think that's like a negative way, like thinking that you're always an addict, but like. When we say that we're addicts, it means that there's always work to be done. If I said, like, oh, I'm, I'm cured and I'm no longer an addict, that would mean that there's no more work to do. So it's like when I say that I'm an addict, I'm saying that I'm going to continue to do what I have to do to make sure my disease is managed and under control. Just like when people have cancer, they don't say, oh, I'm cancer-free. They say, like, I'm in, I'm in remission. You know, like, yeah, I don't have cancer active right now, But it could always come back. And that's the thing with staying clean is that if you don't think it's going to come back, that's the first step of it coming back. You know, I had a friend who relapsed and when he relapsed, he called me. He's like, bro, I thought this would never happen. That's kind of the beginning of relapse. (laughs) Like if you don't think the rules apply to you, that's the first sign that you're going to get highs when you start thinking that the rules don't apply to you and that you're different that you're unique and that you might not be an addict anymore and it's like that's how things start to get slippery it's just like going to the gym i'm never going to go to the gym so much that i don't have to go anymore you know
2: i have this healthy fear Mm -hmm. you know i don't want to go back to that place i don't want to lose everything that Mm -hmm. i've gained and i don't want to feel like how i used to feel
1: absolutely and it's like you know if i had kids i wouldn't be like oh well I don't need to watch them anymore. Like I've already watched them enough. It's like, you know, my recovery is still a baby. My recovery is still something that needs to be maintained, maintenance, constantly checked on. And it's just like a business. It's just like anything else in life. It's like something that you don't just get to a point where you walk away from it. It's like the reason why it got to that point is because I didn't walk away from it. But hey, I want to thank you coming on the show. I know it was tough scheduling you, but I'm glad, you know, you came on the show. I know it was, you know, it had some issues and, you know, some fear. And I appreciate you sharing your story.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. I know. Shout out Corey. I know he probably wants a shout out. <laughs> this show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.